Lord God, we want to thank you for the victory. Lord God, somebody has come here seemingly under attack, beset by so much out there that is trying to steal our peace, but someone here needs to know that you have given us the victory. By virtue of the fact that we are standing here today, we need to know that we are still alive. And if we are still alive, and if you are still God, that means there is an opportunity for you to do something great in our lives today. So we want to thank you and remind the world that you have won the victory on this morning. So Father God, we thank you for your word on today. And even though you are already present in the room, we now open our hearts so you, you can be present within us on today. So we thank you that you have brought us to this place. I thank you for everybody who is here, Father God. I thank you for everybody who's logged on online today. Father God, may your spirit reach us wherever we may be on this morning and prepare our hearts for what you would have to say to us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise for the victory on today. Hallelujah. And while you're standing, just before you're seated, we can read our text, which is to be found in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lays waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to do this good work. Let's give the Lord praise for the reading of his word and you may be seated. Now, when I was younger, I used to be very much enamored with the miracles that occurred in the Bible. All of the miracles that we have heard that God performed and wrought through his people, the stopping of the sun, the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, these miraculous instances. I'll be so fascinated by the examples of when God supernaturally intervened and interacted in our physical world 
to bring glory to himself or to protect his people. Now, I still believe that we serve a God of miracles. How many of you still believe in the God of miracles? I believe that the Lord can do what the Lord wants to do. Whenever the Lord wants to do it, case closed. Amen. But as I've gotten older and as we look at our text, I have to admit that Nehemiah, especially in these times, has become one of my favorite books in the Bible. You see, there are no miracles in the book of Nehemiah. But even though there are no miracles in Nehemiah, God still brought about the miraculous. So today we're going to talk about the God of the miraculous. The God of the miraculous. Some years ago we talked about something that we've all been guilty of taking for granted more than not. I know that as preachers we try not to or we try to avoid using analogies that we've touched on before, but as we come to the end of what's been celebrated as Black History Month, this conversation that you and I had those years ago kept coming up in my spirit, and it would not be quieted, especially during this month of Black History. Incidentally, I celebrate Black History all year long. <laughs> Incidentally. I know some may disagree, but in my assessment, it shouldn't be relegated to just one month because black history is American history. We don't have American history month. We do that year round. In fact, there is no American history without black history. To celebrate one is to celebrate another. But if you'll indulge me for a moment, back on subject. Back when we talked about, back then we talked about how one of the most defining physical characteristics that has separated humankind from the animal world and has caused us to reach such high levels of technical advancement is the way in which we use our hands. Some of you may remember, but if so, just indulge me for a, a moment. There are 27 bones in each hand, more bones than in any other part of our bodies. Your hands are the principal means of interaction with the world around you. You can observe the world through your eyes and through your ears, but it is with your hands that you interact with that world. We touch, grab, push, pull, feel, put on, take off, caress, pick up, put down, build up, tear down, help. Hit, hurt, heal, and kill literally with our hands. Human hands can 
paint the Sistine Chapel. They can play a guitar. They can make a guitar. They can maneuver surgical instruments. They can chisel a David. They can forge steel and mold clay and write poetry. Our hands are extremely expressive. They can pray and praise. They can sign for the death, help tell a story, or reveal our innermost thoughts. If you've ever been talking to someone and their fist is clenched up, you know that they're not agreeing with you. You can say that you love your wife or that you love your husband with your lips, but you show your husband, your wife, that you love them with what you do or don't do with your hands. You can look at something all day. You can listen to it. You can shout at it. But until you put your hands on it, nothing is going to happen. That's what I tell my boys. You can think about your homework all day, but until you put your hands on it, you Ain't, the homework ain't getting dead. Amen. But everyone look at them. Look at your hands. The details of your hands. Look at the creases. The wrinkles. <laughs> Someone just say, watch your mouth. I'm like, I'm looking. Some of us might be noticing that we did not put lotion on our hands. But look at them. Some of us don't like our hands. I've always thought that my hands were a little bit small as well. But some of us don't like our hands, but almost everything that you do in life is going to begin with and end with your hands. Look at them. You know, since I was little, I've always thought my hands were a little strange, you know, not outside of being smaller than I thought they should be. I, I always thought that my, they were strange because my middle and my index fingers kind of curved towards the outside of my hands, towards my little finger. And I used to just look at them and go, hmm, that's strange. Well, one day, years later, when we were visiting Mason Temple, the headquarters of the Church of God in Christ in Memphis, Tennessee on church business, my brother, Elder Lawrence, and my uncle, Bishop J.A. Blake Sr., uh, J.A. Blake Jr., excuse me, J.A. Blake Jr., were walking through the offices of the temple, and we stopped in this, this long hallway. Oh, there it is. Let's praise the Lord for the media department. Amen. They got that up there. <laughs> That's not exactly the hallway, but you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. But in this hallway are the portraits of those that have served and led the church since its beginning more than 100 years ago. One of the portraits in there that we stopped at was a portrait of my grandfather, Bishop Junius Augustus Blake Sr., who served on the general board of the Church of God in Christ. And I just stood there and looked at it for a while. And my uncle, who was standing there next to me, quietly chuckled and said, Look at those hands. 
And as I looked at the hands of my grandfather who went on to be with the Lord when I was only 14 years old, I saw the same very slight curvature of the right, the index and the middle finger curving towards the outside of his hands. It's very strange. It was same as the curves that I had been looking at and wondering about for as long as I could remember. My Uncle Jay saw me looking at my hands, and he held his hands up. And there it was again, same curve. We then looked at Elder Lawrence's hands, and it was there on his hands, too, very distinct. And we laughed about it, and we walked a little bit further down the hall to my father's portrait, and we looked at his hands on his picture, and there it was. And we went on about our business, laughing about the fact that we all had kind of the same shaped hands, so to speak. Well, as the years passed, I found myself laughing about that moment we had, my brother, my uncle, and me. I began to think about my, my great-grandfather, Eason Edward Blake. And I wondered if he had the same hands. I figured that he did. I thought about my great-great-grandfather, his father, Eason's father, Samuel Blake. And I thought about Samuel Blake's father, Louis Blake. And I thought about Louis Blake's father, Isaac Blake. Had the same hands. And I thought about his father, whose name was King Blake, born 19, oh, I mean, not 19, King Blake was born in 1807. And I thought about how my great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather and great-great-great-grandfather and great-great-great-great-grandfather all had those same hands. And I thought about the fact that during that time, it was very strange that a man named King was more than likely in Arkansas 1807 was a slave because, you know, not many brothers were doing too good in the year 1807 in Arkansas. And if you go back even further, even before our name was Blake, these hands were here. I used to think that I would move heaven and earth to be able to have a picture of Eason and Isaac and Lewis and Samuel and King. I would love to have had a picture of those that came before me whose name and blood I now carry. I would love to look into their eyes and see the shape of their faces and point out the similarities with the smiles and the eyebrows and the shape of our nose. I I would love to see which traits were passed on through the generations. And part of me would do anything just to have a picture of them. But I'll never have a picture of them or know what they looked like. But it's okay. I don't have to have a picture. It's okay because I have their hands. And it didn't start there. It didn't stop there. 
I go even further back and I think of those whose names that I don't know who had these hands who lived and loved and died here on this planet for millennia with these hands. I want you to keep in mind that even in the time of our text at Nehemiah, someone with these hands, your hands, was somewhere here on earth. You didn't just pop up. We read this Bible and we forget that when the events of the Bible and the word of God was being lived out, that someone in your bloodline, one of your relatives existed during the time that the Bible was being lived out. Someone with these hands, your hands, was here living, loving, and dying. When Paul was knocked off of his horse on the road to Damascus, there was someone here with these hands. When you read the Bible, don't separate that. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost fell, someone with these hands was here. The song asked, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And I know that although myself, I was not there, someone with these hands, your hands, was here when Jesus hung on that tree and when he walked out of that grave. A familial ancestral representative of you was living on the planet at that time. And we can go back even further. Even before that, in the time of Judges, when Samson slew 1,000 men and King David danced himself out of his robes, somewhere during that time, someone with these hands was here. With your hands was here. Everyone look at your hands. Just for a moment. In Exodus, when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry land, and when God made a promise to Abraham, someone with these hands, the same hands that you were looking at, were here. These are your hands. Look at them. These hands have been here since the beginning. For before God formed these hands in your mother's womb, he knew these hands. Before he ever even said, let there be light, he sanctified and ordained these hands. Because if that were not true, then you would not be here now with these hands. Your line goes all the way back to the beginning. You were already in the mind of our Heavenly Father. These hands were already in the mind of our Heavenly Father before he even said the words, let there be light. Now, during the time of our text, the people of, the God, people of God in the city of Jerusalem were in complete disarray. Because of their sin against God, they had been conquered, and many of them had been carried away into captivity. But even in their captivity, there were those who had gained favor in the midst of their circumstances. And Nehemiah was one of those people who had gained favor as a cupbearer to the king that had conquered his people. 
However, even though Nehemiah was living in the king's palace, Artaxas the first's palace in Babylon, where is that Persia? Well, the people back home in Jerusalem, the people of God that hadn't been carried away into captivity were living in a state of desperation and reproach. When Nehemiah had heard this, he fell into sadness and depression, and he beseeched the king to allow him to return home to help his people. How many of you know that you're supposed to return home to help your people? Amen. Well, since he had gained favor, the king not only allowed him to return home, he sent him back with a couple, few soldiers and some money and some resources, and he also made him governor over the area where Jerusalem was at that time as a representative of the king. But the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down for so long that no one living there even remembered when the walls were up and the gates weren't burned. To them, this is what life looked like. So their entire national self-esteem was tied to a city that was basically just open to anybody who wanted to come and anybody who wanted to go. The surrounding region was led by some very strange warlords and they could steal from the city and they would steal the crops or take whatever they wanted. The city of Jerusalem and the surrounding area was just a stomping ground for the the enemies of the people of God who just wanted to come and take whatever they wanted. There was no national pride. There was no sense that God is with us. They had forgotten their history. They had forgotten the work of their hands. Some of the Hebrew nobles had even made deals and arrangements with these warlords, these enemies of the state. Is that you know that some of us can be kinder to our enemies and those that hate us than to their own brothers and sisters. Well, Nehemiah shows up. He sees the city. And it breaks his heart even further. And he takes an entire day and night to travel around the city, just looking and assessing it. He then calls all the people together who live in the city, all the people from the surrounding region, and he says the words of our text this morning. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. And then they, the people said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work. 
Now, when you get a chance, I want you to read the, the next chapter, the third chapter of Nehemiah. It is the most beautiful thing that I've ever read. It's beautiful because it shows God's people doing more than just waiting on a miracle. It shows them doing more even than just praying. It shows them using their hands to accomplish the miraculous. Why? Because they serve the God of the miraculous. Amen. There were tradesmen, goldsmiths, and merchants of all kinds that used their gifts, their talents, their professions, their purpose to the aim of building these walls for the benefit of the kingdom. How many of you know that you have a purpose? In verse 12 of that chapter, there's Shalom and his daughters, who though not capable of personally serving and building themselves, had the means individually to contribute money for the buying of those materials and paying of the workmen. They did what they could do with what God had given them for the building of the wall. Most of the people had repaired over and against their own houses. And one of them even repaired over and against the one-room apartment that he was renting. You see, they, they worked where they lived because in some cases, the wall served as the back or the side of their house. They succeeded. They accomplished the miraculous. Even though Nehemiah came down and gathered the people together, the real heroes of this account are all throughout the third chapter. They are the people of Jerusalem that decided in their hearts and with their hands that they were going to build that wall. There was no way that Nehemiah was going to build that wall by himself. He needed the hearts and the, the hands of all of God's people. They performed the miraculous with their hands. Oh, they may have sang and they may have prayed, but it came down to what they did with their hands. Oh, let's give the Lord praise on today. Let me know y'all are still out there. Now, you may ask, what does this have to do with me? <laughs> it always comes back to that eventually. Well, what does this have to do with me, Pastor? What does that have to do with us in this time, thousands upon thousands of years later? Well, as you may have noticed that black folks have not had the easiest time in this country. If you take a look at the history of our time here. But we've almost always had the church. Amen. Even before that, there was a black preacher on some plantation that stood at the center of some of the biggest slave revolts in the 1800s. They don't cover that in your U.S. history class, by the way. But we're talking about the black church throughout history. This is Black History Month, amen. 
But during the struggle for civil rights in this country, it was the black church that served as the base camps for the war and the war for our rights. It was the launching pads for those actions that changed the world that happened from the churches. It was the churches. It was a movement that was born in the church and inside the walls of the church, but it did not stay inside the four walls of the church. It, it took place in the community through the work of our hands. We're going to connect it all together. Stay with me. The church hosted mass meetings and served as staging points for rallies and marches. It, it provided the much-needed emotional and physical and moral and spiritual support. These churches gave the community strength to endure and ultimately it succeeded in gaining equal human rights for every American, no matter what race, creed, or ethnicity you came from, every American. Now, we've always been a people of prayer, but it was those who lived out the love and power of Almighty God with their hands that changed the world that we live in today. Everyone look at your hands. Now my father, my daddy once said, when we as blacks had nothing in this country, we had the church. It was the church that stood as the heart and the soul of the community as its foundation. We can look back further in history to the post-Reconstruction period in the late 1800s, which is my favorite period of the black church, amen. But after the Civil War during Reconstruction, the church had as its purpose, along with the preaching of the gospel, the elimination of poverty and dislocation and chaos and uncertainty. That is why the work of the West Angeles Community Development Corporation it's so true. You guys are black history incarnate. We always going to be locked together. The first African-American schools, African-American hospitals, farming co-ops, benevolent agencies, unions, businesses, political gathering, and black fraternal societies and social clubs were all housed in and came out of the African-American church. They tell me I ain't talked enough about black history, so I'm giving you a little black history. Amen. Is, is that all right? Like, I'm not black. I don't know. I can't. But through the black church, the only institution within our community, we purchased land. We constructed buildings and raised money to hire teachers. It wasn't the church building that did these things. It was God's people that did them through his love and his power and in their hands. The effects can still be seen today. You are worshiping the Lord in the effects of the work that our fathers and fathers' fathers and mothers and fathers' fathers and mothers did with their hands. Now, some in their delusion, I know every once in a while I, I don't know, I guess it's, being a glen for punishment, I look at some of the message boards sometime on Twitter and look at what's going out. And some in their delusion have the nerve, the unmitigated gall to think 
that they are under attack and that black folks are now a protected class. But as African Americans, we are still at the top of the list of those most impoverished. We still have the highest poverty rate. We still have the highest incarceration rate. The highest proportion of homes without a father. The highest dropout rate at school. The highest mortality rates. It is not hard to see that the walls of our community are in shambles. And yes, some would even still call us a reproach. Now, beloved, we are to set our hands and our hearts to the task of filling the gaps of illiteracy and lack of education in the walls of our community. That's why it's fitting that this is Super Sunday. That's helping us build the wall. We need to set our hands to the task of filling the gaps of financial illiteracy in the walls of our community. Your bank shouldn't be the cash checking place on the corner. We're trying to move you to a place higher than that. We need to fill the gaps of fatherlessness and lack of family structure in the walls of our community. I'm not talking about your history. I'm talking about your future. I'm talking about your now. The gaps of crime and poverty need to be filled. We cannot wait for others to do this for us. There is no grand plan or design, no leader that is going to come down out of nowhere and rebuild these walls for us. We with our hands, our hearts, and the power of God are the only one that can rebuild these walls. Mm. And so we now have to ask ourselves, where on this wall are we to set our hands to building? In this account of Nehemiah, the children of Israel build where they lived. But I think in our time, although that is a good place to start, where you live, I think that where we are to build is where God has given us our gifts talents and blessings. Again, I've been saying it for months now that God has given you a purpose. And now I reveal to you why he gave you a purpose, why he made you salt and light so you can use your hands to build the wall. Let us rise up and build. Wherever work is to be done on building the wall, each person should work on that part of it that falls nearest to them and is within their reach. So if everyone does what they know they can do, no matter how small, if they do it with all of their heart and with their hands, they are doing their part. Just in case you hadn't noticed, West Angeles is a black church. We welcome and invite all of God's children of all races. It does my heart so warm to see folks who are not of the African-American race and community come in. Let's give the Lord praise for all of our brothers. We welcome you. You make us a better church. But as children of this history and 
heritage as members of West Angeles that we have been called as missionaries. We've been called as evangelists and ministers, and what we do with our hands is a reflection of this ministry, is a reflection of what God is doing through our lives here at West Angeles, and we praise God for all of you. I know that we call where we're right now at this very second a church service, and we're in service right now, but in all actuality, we didn't come here to service. We came to worship. You see, service is what we're supposed to be doing when we leave here. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. Say it with me. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. Keep quietly repeating that to yourself until it sinks in. So again, I'll say that Nehemiah is one of my favorite books of the Bible and that there, although there are no miracles in Nehemiah, God brought about the miraculous outside of miracles and he did it all through the hands of his people. What are you going to do with your hands? God did all that he did in Nehemiah through the hands of his people, even though there were no supernatural miracles or occurrences that took place to pull us out of slavery and lynchings and systematic oppression, even though there were no plagues of locusts and hailstorms, no angel of death to slay the firstborn of, our, of those who enslaved us, God has performed the miraculous. It is a miracle that you are even still here. It is a miracle that our people are even still here. The black church in West Angeles is a testament to the miraculous. Look at the purpose that God has put inside of you. You need to realize, everyone look at your hands again. You need to realize that when you look at your hands, that you are looking at expressions not only of black history, but of our present and our future. It is through the miraculous that we perform with our hands that our communities will be lifted and saved. That our young men and young women will find purpose as good fathers and good mothers and geniuses and inventors and entrepreneurs and people who will then save their community and teach their young people. We as children of God and history and kingdom have a distinct opportunity in these times to change, to be who God has called us to be. To in the middle of all of this hatred and fury to show the world who God really is. That in the middle of all of this confusion and skepticism about what it means to be a follower of Christ, to show the world God's love and purpose in our lives. To show the world that they too can have a life of victory. 
We owe it to those that have had these hands throughout millennia. I think of the hands of our Savior, the hands of Christ Jesus, hands that reached out and healed the lame, hands that reached down and mixed spittle and dirt and put clay on a blind man's eyes and gave him sight, hands that reached down and rode in the dirt and quieted a mob bent on execution, hands that prayed for and divided five loaves of bread and two fish and fed 5,000 men and, and twice as many women and children. Hands that took a cripple by their hands and made them walk. Hands that touched dead and made them live again. Hands that washed the feet of those far less worthy than him. Hands that broke bread and poured wine and gave it as his flesh and blood to his disciples. Hands that comforted the hurt and unloved. Hands that loved. Hands gripped tightly together in prayer crying, not my will, but thy will be done, my Father. Hands that were pierced with stakes and nailed to a cross. Hands that he showed a doubting Thomas and said, put your finger through the holes. And everything that Christ did with his hands were done in love and service. Oh, somebody give the Lord praise on today. Hallelujah. It's all about your hands. You see your hands. You see, a rod in my hands is just a rod in my hands. But a rod in Moses' hands parted the Red Sea, brought water out of a rock. The jawbone of a donkey in my hands is just the jawbone of a donkey in my hands. But the jawbones of the donkeys in Samson's hands could slay a battalion. A sling in my hands is just something that I'm going to hit myself with, but a sling in David's hands can slay a giant. Fish and loaves in my hand is just a sandwich, but fish and loaves in Jesus' hands can feed a multitude. Put your life in Jesus' hands. Your life not in Jesus' hands is one of the many lives that come and go in, on earth in obscurity. But your life in God's hands can change the world. Your life in God's hands can change the world. Because we learned that we were little that he has the whole world in his hands. In his hands he has the whole world. Just put your life in his hands. Put your hands in the hands of the master. The world has tried to make you think that your life is worthless, but if you put your life in the hands of the master, there is no limit as to what can be placed on your life. If you put your hands in the master's hands, whatever you do with your hands is going to be a blessing. 
Now clap those hands that God gave you and give him praise. Hallelujah.